Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. God is instructing us in righteousness. Now, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. I talk about this a lot, but I'm going to just give you just a little bit. I believe we are righteous. Okay, so the scripture says in 2 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that, that's, the, that's the starting point. And there's many other scriptures that back that up. Okay, what Jesus did on the cross was complete. It was enough. Okay. And also, I want to make a statement that, and I kind of made this statement at the end of the 830 service, I'm going to make it at the beginning. You need to understand that God is not our judge. God is our, God is our Father. He sent a Savior, His Son. And now He's drawn us into His kingdom, and we are His sons and daughters. Amen. Okay. And so that means the punishment for sin was on Jesus. He, he was punished. So he was punished for our sins. So there is no longer any punishment necessary. There's a, a real big thing in Christianity where it's, it's like, you better watch out, God's going to get you. That, see, that comes from hell. That distorts the view of God. God's not out to get you. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, he's not looking to get you, as it were. He's looking to love you. He's looking to bless you. He's looking to save you, heal you. He's looking to draw you into him as close as you will allow him. Amen. And so there is no longer, so sometimes we think about when we hear things about being instructed in righteousness that somehow now, oh, here we go, I'm going to get another set of rules and I've got to be better and I've got to work hard and all of that. See, that's the problem because we are righteous by faith. So Jesus told us and he told us in, in, in uh, um, Romans chapter 4 that Abraham, it was imputed to Abraham righteousness because of his faith. So what was needed, it was the, and, and here's the great thing about God. God even gave us the measure of faith so that we could step into that place where we could be righteous. And so now we say, well, okay, preacher, now what you're saying is anything goes. I can do anything I want. No. If you're sinning, stop it. What it means is now I am completely equipped with everything I need to be all that God says I can be. I have it all. I have everything. Now what he does is instruct us in righteousness. It's interesting because we are in fact royalty. We are kings and priests before him. Amen. And it's interesting that all the way back when Israel decided they wanted a king, that God was no longer good enough to be their king and that they were tired of the judges and they said, give us a king. We want to be like every other nation. And God says, you don't really want a king because he's going to be really rotten to you. 
He's going he's gonna to make you pay taxes, and he's going to make you do this, and he's going to make you go to war, and on and on and on. I'll be your king because I don't need nothing for you from you. I just want you to be my children, and I'll give you the kingdom. But they didn't want that. They wanted a king. And so God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. You ain't going to like it. So he gave him King Saul. And then Samuel, it's an interesting verse. You can go look it up. Samuel took the time to teach them how a king should live. He had to teach them how to be royal. So what we do in church is it's not so much that I come down and I look at Pat Philly. Pat Philly, I'm tired of all the sin. I'm tired of it. So you better get it together because if you don't get it together, God's going to come down and he's going to knock you out. That's not, the, that's not what God does. What God does is says, Pat Philly, let me show you how a child of God lives. Because I've given you everything you need. You have all the identity, power, and equipment. Everything you need, you have it. So now, this is what you do. So there is a lot in the Bible that instructs us on what to do and what not to do. But it doesn't carry punishment. What it carries is blessing. Because Jesus paid the punishment. Because if we have to be punished, then God's saying Jesus wasn't enough. Are you catching that? Okay, now that doesn't mean that things won't happen. It's just different. God warned us. He says, what you sow, you'll reap. You sow to the flesh, you ain't going to like it. You sow to the spirit, you'll have life everlasting. Are Are you catching that? Now, are you seeing, the reason I'm going to this length right now is because what I'm about to preach on for the next three weeks really does require, and this is where this morning when I, started this sermon, it kind of got a little bumpy for me because I was thinking about these things because the kingdom of God, God in his kingdom, has made everything right for us so that we can walk in this, but it is counterintuitive to human nature. I am going to actually preach a whole sermon on that in a week or two. And so I just, I'm going to just give you a little preview. God says, if you have an enemy, don't do what the world does and go out and attack them. Love them. That's counterintuitive to human nature. Because what we want to do is protect. Jesus said, if somebody requires you to go a mile, you go too. If somebody asks to borrow, just give it to them. If they want your cloak, give them your coat also. Why? Because there is a strategy in the kingdom of heaven that overcomes this world. Okay? When we act like the world, the best we can hope for is to be the world. We just become the best in the world. Well, the best in the world ain't really all that great. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, having said that, kind of setting that stage a little bit, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be speaking about something that I believe is significantly important to our walk with Jesus. It is absolutely essential for us, if we want to grow in Christ, grow in what He has given us, then we cannot afford to trivialize this subject. And what we're going to be talking about is a disciplined mind. 
okay? So I want you to think about this with me because the greatest battles that we face are very often lost or won in the privacy of our own mind. Are you hearing me? See, our thought life is revealed in our actions and in our words. I can know exactly or pretty close to what you're thinking by just watching how you live your life and how you speak. I can see the inside of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we're not careful, our thoughts, our thought life, can literally redefine who we really are. I really am a son of God. I am by virtue of Jesus Christ brought into the family of God and I am a son with all full rights and privilege as a son. But if I'm not careful with my thought life, I can end up redefining that into something that God never intended me to be. That's why it's critical that we bring our thought life into submission with Jesus. We must learn to think biblically about every aspect of our life. Can you say amen? Because the quality of our lives depends on what we allow to take root in our minds. The Bible has a lot to say about our thought life. In fact, what it really does point out to us is that what we set our minds on reflects and determines the nature and direction of our spiritual lives. Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it, cannot, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here, this, this verse of Scripture can be manipulated into a baseball bat. And there's been a lot of guys that have plucked that right out of context And they use that to bludgeon people to make them submit to what the doctrine of the church is. Without reading beforehand, you have to really, if you're going to get Romans 6, you better read Romans 8, you better read Romans 6 and then 7. Because it's all in context. In Romans 6, it says this, consider yourself dead to sin. He's talking about a legitimate choice we are empowered to make because of salvation. That I get to choose now. I am no longer under old programming. I am no longer uh, relegated to only sin. Now I can walk in the Spirit as God empowers me. I can choose that. And I can walk in that way. So now you fast forward into eight, and he says this, those that live by the flesh, put their minds on the flesh, guess what? That's what they're going to have. He said, but if you decide to walk in the Spirit, then guess what? You're going to live in the dynamic of the Spirit. And these passages make it abundantly clear that the way we think is intimately related to the way we live. Now, one of the things that I've learned over a lot of years of 
ministry is that all sin grows out of an undisciplined mind. I want you to listen to it. And this is why you need to be here next week and the week after, because there is not enough time in one day to connect all the dots for you. So you're going to have to let me connect dots over a three-week period of time. Okay? You good? So the thing that I've learned over the years is that all sin grows out of an undisciplined mind. And Jesus said it this way in Mark 7, 20 through 23. He says, that which proceeds out of the man, that which... That is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds, coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And here's the point. No one commits these outward sins without first having committed them in their mind. Now, here's the thing, and I, got, I, I have to do this. I'm going to have to step up on this stage for a minute. I know it's not going to be good for the camera, but that's okay. And I'm going to have to give you a little of a preview, because if I don't do that, whoa, <laughs> Jesus. I should have said, let there be light right at that moment. <laughs> that would have been so awesome. So what happens is, is what we've got to understand is none of this is happening without some sort of process, okay? All right, so we're talking about thoughts, but, and, and I'm, next week you'll get this clear, but think about it this way. Right here, this is how I live. This is the action of my life. This is where we spend most of our time, right? This is what we want to change. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what I'm thinking. I don't like what I'm saying, so I'm going to make a commitment to change. The problem is we don't change. So then we ask ourselves, where did that come from? It comes from our emotions. We always act out of how we feel. If I feel good, I act good. If I feel bad, I act bad. Where does that come from? My thoughts. What I think in my head, this is what we're talking about. Okay? I feel, my thoughts control my feelings and I control my actions. Now watch, there's one more. What I believe. What I believe is my identity. What I believe about God, what I believe about myself. See, if I believe God's always mad at me, it produces thoughts that produce emotions that produce actions. If I believe that God loves me and I am his son, it produces thoughts that produce emotions that produce actions. Out of thoughts, we sin. Next week, we're going to talk about that. But I had to do that because... If I say some of these things, it's like, wow, what is he doing? I need you to understand that. Does that make sense? So no one commits these outward sins without first having committed them in their mind. And if we want to grow in godliness, then we must enforce the victory Jesus has extended to us through salvation in our minds. And that's this spot right here, what we believe. What you believe is so absolutely important. If you believe you're a scumbag, you're going to act like one. If you believe you're a failure, you will be. If you believe you're a son of God, you'll walk like one. If you believe God is able in your life, you will see him move. If you believe God moves for everyone else but not you, 
you will see everyone getting miracles but you. Why? Because it's producing something that's moving you in a direction. Paul wrote in Romans 6.11, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wish that I had the time to go through Romans 6, 7, and 8 with you. It is such a revelation. Because this word reckon is a Greek word that means to give careful thought to a matter, to think about, to consider, to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on. So we could translate Romans 6, 11 this way. Likewise, you also give careful thought to a matter, think about, consider, ponder, let your mind dwell on the fact that you are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing that? Why is this so important? Because the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs chapter 23, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why Paul gives us the instruction that he gives us in our text. Let's look at our text. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, what I'm saying this wrong, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That word that's translated meditate is the same Greek word that was translated in Romans 6 as reckon. Paul is telling us that there are specific subjects that we are to give careful thought to, to think about, to consider, to ponder, and to let our mind dwell on them. Now, what Paul is not doing is he's not talking about the thoughts that just hit our minds like a flash. He's talking about embracing thoughts and dwelling on them. He is talking about pondering on the subjects and the things that God has spoken because it will provide a protection for your mind. Amen. Here's the problem. The devil can inject a thought into your mind. And what happens if we're not careful when the devil does that, we have the power to embrace it and think about it or we have the power to reject it. And if we're not applying the power to reject it, then we're embracing it. So I want you to think about this for a moment. I want to describe something here to you. So I want you to think about this. See, the strategy of the devil is to invade and conquer. And his only effective weapon is deception. And most of his deception is waged against what we think. And over time, the devil sows one lie after another like a mason that is building a brick wall, one brick at a time. Every lie sown through our thoughts that goes unchallenged adds one more brick to the wall until there is a stronghold built. You know what a stronghold is? I want you to think about this with me. So we're going to read a scripture that talks about a stronghold. We're going to read that famous 2 Corinthians 10. Paul uses that word. But I want to describe what a stronghold is. So back in the first century, the strategy of warfare was for, when, you, an, a, when an enemy came in to invade a country, the enemy would first find a beachhead. They would get 
established. Then they would press in a little bit further and they would build a stronghold. And what a stronghold was, was a place of defense. So they would build this place where they could store ammunition, where they could store food, where they had a barracks where they could have soldiers in that place protected. And from that stronghold, what they would do is they would go out and they would do raids on the, on the country they were invading. And as they took territory, the way they maintained the victory is by building stronghold after stronghold after stronghold. It is a picture that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians that we're going to read here that talks about the strategy of the enemy. The en enemy will come, and first what he'll do is he'll try to build a beachhead. And he does that through our thoughts. If we do not reject the thoughts, if we do not push them out, he begins to establish a stronghold. As the stronghold is built, then what he will do in our minds is he will attempt to take more and more territory by doing raids on our mind, all from within the confines of the privacy of our thinking. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what's happening. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. Listen, casting down. He's going to pull down a stronghold, and he's going to cast down an argument. And every high thing that exalts itself against God. And then against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, God gives us the power and the strength, the discernment, he, would, he tells us later on, to be able to know what is God, what is not, and to be able to reject what is not God and to pull that stronghold down to push the enemy back out. Amen. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's doing. And the Bible tells us that we have power over this kind of attack and we can defeat the lies of the enemy, but we must resist the lies. We must pull them down and bring them into the obedience of Christ. So what can that mean? That means we take the lie, we take the thing that's being sown into our mind that's bringing torment and we bring it and we set it right next to Jesus and we say, do you match up with Jesus? And we go, no, nope, don't look like him, then we throw it out. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. We bring that thing, we bring that word. Oftentimes when I'm preaching, I'm going to be a little vulnerable, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I will hear in my head, they don't care what you got to say. It is, straight up. But it sounds good to me at the moment. I'm saying, well, do they really care? I get looking around and God will point out, look at Pat Philly. <laughs> Pat, I can't use you in this example because you smile at me too much. <laughs> God will point somebody out and say, look at, they don't believe a word you're saying right now. In fact, they know more than you. And you know what? What they're doing is they're thinking, this is, you're a heretic. And you're going, what? Really? And I'm in my sermon on taking authority over the lies. I'm going, but God's over here going, John, John, it's a lie. Kick it out. Kick it out. Well, I don't, I don't know, God. I kind of feel like I don't know the Word of God very well. 
kick it out. We have to resist it. So what's the point? Not everything you think is you. We have to put it to the test. The Bible says this in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The reality is, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I, I have, this happens all the time. And please, if you've said this to me in the past, I am not shooting at you. Please understand that. But there is a very common thing that happens in churches. And it's this, God told me. How do you know? Have you put it to the test? Have you brought it into line with the Word of God? Does it match up? It's amazing how much God tells people that's not God. And that's dangerous. And so why is it dangerous? Because it gets us on a train of thought that leads to destruction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what do we have to do? We have to practice discernment. We have to say, God, is this really you? Is this right? Does it match up to what I know about the Word of God? Is it lining up with the character of God? God will not speak outside of His character. He can't. People say there's nothing God can't do. Oh, there is. God can't lie. <laughs> God can't speak outside of his character. You say, why is that? Because then he stops being God. He has to be true to himself. He has to speak in the way that demonstrates and reflects who he really is. So when a thought is from God, it will not violate God's character. That's why I started off with saying, God's not mad. So many Christians just believe, man, he's got to be mad at me. The last time God got upset, the world perished. And he said, then he said, I'll never do that again. And he put a rainbow in the sky to guarantee it. I'll never do that again. It's an amazing thought. He's not mad. Can he be hurt? Yes. Can he be disappointed? Sure. But he's not mad. Nor is he looking to get you. He's looking to redeem you. To empower you. To equip you. To love you. What dominates your thought life? Is it the wholesome things that are true and noble? Or is it vain imaginations that entertain your brain? Think about this with me for a few minutes. Because what Paul does is he gives us some things in our text that literally help us to push back the enemy. They are, these things that Paul talks about here are the things that actually guarantee protection against what we're talking about. The first thing Paul says is to think on things that are true. How many know the sat that Satan is a liar? And that we've already said it, he lies and he deceives. It's what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He questioned God's goodness. He, he, he deceived them about their own identities. It's a wonderful study if you go all the way back to chapter 3 in Genesis and you listen to the conversation 
the devil is doing a couple things. He's saying God's not who he said he is. God told you a lie. He didn't mean what he really said. God is holding out on you because you're really not like him. But she was made, Eve and Adam and Eve were made in the likeness and in the image of God. They, they were the only thing in creation that was the closest to what God was and is. But the devil comes on and says, there's more to be had. God's holding out on you. And he created in them the very first sensation they had in sin was a sense of lack. I'm missing something. That's what sin will do. Sin will steal from you every time and say you don't have enough. And God's saying, I'm the God of more than enough, and I fill you. Amen. I live in you. My kingdom is in you. The universe cannot hold me. I, I measure the universe by the span of my hand. I weigh the ocean in the palm of my hand, and I live inside you. I'm incomprehensible, yet I give you the ability to understand me. I live in you, and the devil is telling you you don't have enough. Amen. It's a lie. It's what he does. So what must we do? We must take some time, and we must meditate on what is true. That word true, it literally is talking about the character of God, the truth as God is. We sit and meditate. We think about his love, his grace, his mercy. The one that I, I love, his love, his grace, and his mercy. Those are all wonderful, but the one that just absolutely floors me is his long-suffering, his patience. I would not be as patient with me as he is with me. I'd have kicked me out a long time ago. I'd have said, you little fat runt, get out of here. That's what I'd have done. I bug myself really bad, but God, he keeps showing up and going, man, I love you, John. You're awesome. You're my favorite. Did you know I'm God's favorite? Well, let me tell you a secret. So are you. I don't know how that works in the kingdom of God. I don't know how you can be God's favorite and I can be God's favorite truly, but that's the way it is. I am the apple of God's eye. He loves me with everything. He bankrupt heaven so that I could know him. So I need to meditate on that. And what I do is when any other thought invades my mind that does not live up to that, throw it out. Amen. He says, whatever things are noble, this word in the Greek comes from a word that means to inspire reverence or awe, dignity, and worthy of respect. The Amplified Bible says that this, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and seemly. One commentator said this, that whatever is noble refers to lofty, majestic, awesome things, things that lift the mind above the world's dirt and scandal. Amen. Amen. It means to think on whatever that is noble, to fix our minds on the things that cultivate dignity godliness, and moral excellence. To think on that. Paul phrased it this way in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, on the ESV, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. As we ponder the noble, honor, honorable things of God, our thoughts will influence the way we live. We begin to emulate. We begin, begin to come, become what we think. 
And when we think about His goodness, His grace, those awe-inspiring things, we literally become those awe-inspiring things. He says, whatever things are just, this word just is used to describe His righteousness. It means to think on what represents His holy nature as we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. See, too often we get our view clouded by the things of the past. The things that should have happened, didn't happen. The injustice, the offense, the hurts, the wounds. And as we talked in sermons recently, it's easy to become bitter. And when we do that, our mind is saturated with bitterness. Why? Because we're thinking about things that we cannot change. It's done. All I can do now is apply the blood of Jesus to it and give it to him and then think on what's right about him. You know, sometimes I get watching the news and it's not always a good thing for me to watch the news. I get frustrated. I don't know about you. I, I get frustrated, man. I watch about five minutes and I'm like, these people are numbskulls. They, I, 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 what are they thinking? I'm, I, and I get in them and I'm like, God, I, if I was you, this is what I'd do, God. I would take them, I'd wrap them up in a string, and I would hold them over hell for about three days and go, can you hear me now? That's not a healthy thought. That, that, that's, that's, not, that's not, I need to cast that out. <laughs> or you know what? Sometimes in traffic, yeah, you ever been in traffic here in Kingman? Kingman has a unique set of traffic things because you have people from California, you Californians drive like maniacs, and then you have people that are retired that drive 25 miles an hour in a 55, and I'm not sure what you're thinking. It's literally the speed limit. In my neighborhood, speed limit's 25 miles an hour. I, last night, I was going to a friend's house, and I get behind the guy, he's driving 10 miles an hour. And it's like, dude, get o- pull over. Pull over. And you know what? It's getting to the point that, see, I'm going to have to put something on my rearview mirror because the, my New Life ch- sticker is not enough. It's, 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 it's making me mad. I'm, I'm wanting to just get out of my way. I remember hearing a story of uh, Jack Hayford told a story about an experience he had with God one time. He was uh, in, a, in a gas station. He went and got gas, put gas in his car. He gets in the car, pays and gets in the car, and he's getting ready to pull out. And as he begins to pull out to where the you know, driveway is to go onto the street, some other guy whipped right into front of him. Now, Jack's windows are all closed, and you, you can't see each other. He, he doesn't even know who it is. They can't see him. But he does this, you idiot. That's all he does. He goes, I didn't scream it. I didn't yell. I didn't cuss. I just went, you idiot. And he said, God spoke to me in that moment and said, how dare you? How dare you talk about someone I created? Who are you to judge another man's servant? (laughs) Wow. I went, whoa. I thought about that because how many times? How many times have we, either because we didn't have all the facts or... We're, we're thinking on the wrong things or whatever. We go down this road and we start saying things out of our mouth. And your words have power. If we dwell on good things God has for us, then good, 
it'll be done with us. It'll, it'll happen in us. But if we dwell on past offenses, it poisons our soul. Isaiah 26.3 puts it this way. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And then he goes on, he goes, the things that are pure. The word pure here means holy. It's actually talking about moral purity. Thinking on whatever is pure entails filling our minds with thoughts that are innocent, virtuous, clean, not contaminated by any evil thing. It's interesting verse of Scripture. It's in Titus. I believe it's in chapter 1. It says, under the pure, all things are pure, but under the defiled, all things are defiled. And then there's another verse in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. It says, for the pure in heart so see God. See, the problem with impurity, that word impurity there in Titus, it literally means to be alloyed or mixed. And see, when you have thoughts that are contrary, it's kind of like our mouth. The Bible says that brackish water and fresh water can't come out of the same well. And so what is he telling us? Now, once again, let me go back to the beginning. He is not scolding us. He's saying, look, I'm showing you what life is like in the kingdom. I'm showing you this is how you should do it. This is how you live. And you're empowered to live that way. The problem is, is we are, our society is constantly bombarding us with things like celebrity scandals and dirty secrets and immoral entertainment and pornography and sexual promiscuity and godless living. And we, it's in such volume now. And now because of the, the, the technology, you can view all of that stuff in the privacy of wherever you're at. And it gets hard. And so that's why we got to be careful what we're putting in our mind. We need to pray. Now, look, at, we were having a discussion about this a little earlier in the office. You know, there's got to be some balance because it cannot be one size fits all. It can't, it can't, it can't. You've got somewhere, the Bible talks about in Romans 14, I believe it's 14. It's in Romans. And what he talks about, he says, he's talking about the conviction of our faith. And at the end of the chapter, he says, whatever is not of faith is sin. What he's talking about, if you don't live your convictions, and don't try to make the other guy live your convictions. You live your convictions and I'll live mine. Don't judge me and I won't judge you. And what he's talking about is he's talking about relationship. He's talking about walking in that place where we've come to that place where we've mined something out in our lives. These thoughts, if we don't get a hold of them, they create desires. You need, to, you need to pay attention to this because this will change you if you get it. See, when we think on these things, when we think about the world and the worldly things, the impure things, when we allow those to have place in our heart, it creates a desire. And then James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. What is he saying? He's saying, look, at there's a root to this desire. It's by what you're filling your mind with. Pure thinking should infuse every area of our life, including what we watch, read, and even what we do. Finally, he goes on and he says, the things that are lovely. Literally, he's talking about 
thoughts of great moral and spiritual beauty. And it, David said it perfectly when he said in Psalms 27, 4, he says, one thing I've desired of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What, he, what was his desire? His desire was to be saturated by the beauty of the Lord. So that's what he's telling us. He says, meditate on that beauty. There's something powerful about that meditation. There's something that checks us. There's something that protects us and guides us. Then finally, as he closes that verse, he says, and he kind of wraps it up with this statement. He says, whatever things are good, of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praiseworthy, meditate on that. Paul's not giving us an exhaustive list. Instead, what he's doing is helping us to guard our mind, to stave off the attack, to know how to discern between us and the devil so that our minds can be what God has called them to be so that our emotions and our actions and the rest of our life can line up. Amen. Proverbs 4:23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. One man said this, he said, the food that enters our mind must be watched as closely as the food that enters the body. Another man said this, he goes, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your character. Watch your character because it becomes your destiny. You cannot make any mistake about it. Your mind matters. What you think is important. Can you say amen? amen? And the reason we call this disciplining the mind is because the word discipline means train, not punish. Train your mind. There's another sermon that one day I'm going to preach. It's called, Don't Try, Train. Problem is, too many of us are trying and not training. I'll give you just a little taste. Do you know why fasting is important? Because it teaches us to say no to the flesh. Do you know why a lot of people can't control their flesh? Because they've never said no to it. Don't try, train. You are empowered to be able to do this. God's teaching us how to live. He's teaching us how to have victory. Can you say amen? amen? Wrong statement. Let me back up. He's teaching us how to walk in the victory he provides. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you, God, for your revelation. We pray, God, that you help us, that you encourage us and strengthen us. Father, we pray that you would give us, Lord, as the wisdom, God, to be able to move into the mind of Christ. Lord, that you would help us to have that encounter. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're teaching us right now. I pray for every individual in this room that has heard these words, Lord, that you would bring them back to their mind and rem remembrance, God, as they go through this next week, God. I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up, if they would. We bring these folks up every time so that you can have somebody to pray with. And 
as we get ready to go, I want you to take advantage. If you need prayer, come on up and let them minister to you. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. God bless you. Remember, next week's going to be really fun. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.